0: Welcome to Video Village, I'm Mihir Shah, and today we are talking about Air, Air, the story about Air, Jordan, and the Nike executives that made the deal happen, released in theaters uh, almost two months ago now, and is now available on Amazon Prime. Later in the episode, we'll be talking about Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's friendship and careers together over the years, with a little bit of a deep dive on the movie Good Will Hunting, so stay tuned for that. hope everyone is uh, is doing well haven't made one of these in a while um a couple of quick notes before we get into the main content of the episode um if you aren't following us on instagram make sure to do so you can find us at this is video village um you know we i, I post snippets of podcast episodes and i post uh, you know, announcements whenever we drop a new episode, and most importantly, I post polls on the movie drafts that we do, so you can decide who wins, which is, I think, the the most fun aspect of it. So yeah, give us a follow. Next up, if if you ever listen to an episode of this and are like, hey, I don't really care about whatever you're talking about in the first twenty minutes, I just want to get to the fun stuff at the end, or I just want to get to the draft, or I actually just want to get to your top five and don't want to hear the you know, the, the bad movies you cover in the beginning of the episode, whatever it is, um, you can find timestamps in the description of every podcast episode. Now that will let you skip to different sections of each episode, just a little bit of a pro tip there. Uh, and lastly, at the bottom of every episode, you'll find, uh, polls and Q and A's to participate in. Let me know, um, what your thoughts are on the episode after each one, let me know what kind of episodes you want to listen to. I'm happy to, uh, gonna make tailor-made ones for my biggest fans. So if you're listening, I'm talking to you, the, the three of you out there. Let's talk about Air. So Air is one of the first movies this year that is about a company or a product or you know something very much rooted in capitalism, if you don't count something like the Super Mario Brothers movie, which is based on a video game. There's a movie out called Blackberry that I've heard is a little bit more uh, nuanced and kind of spins the genre uh, on its head a little bit, but is about the uh, now defunct company BlackBerry. There's also a Tetris movie about the um, the game Tetris, and I guess the company that made it and how it was uh, you know made in Russia and had to escape the Soviet Union or something like that. I don't know. I heard that movie was not good, but I don't know where to watch it, so I can't really say. Um, there's also going to be a flaming Hot Cheetos movie about how like a janitor came up with the idea for flame and hot cheetos there's also a movie about enzo ferrari coming out which is probably more about the man himself and less so the product but i don't know um but air is is kind of like the first one that that was on my radar this year and you know it released in early march i saw it in theaters with my friend regina and i had a great time it, it's there's a lot to talk about here, but overall, if you just want a recommendation, yeah, go watch it. It's on Amazon Prime now, which is why I'm doing this episode, and it's uh, it's the dad movie of the year, according to a lot of TikToks I've seen, and I, I can't disagree with that, that recommendation there. So yeah, it's a fun time. This script is written by Alex Convery, who was watching the Netflix documentary, The Last Dance, and noticed that they kind of just skip over the whole Air Jordan storyline and was like, hey, this is a good storyline for a movie and just wrote a script based on whatever research he did at home. And now it's a movie directed by Ben Affleck, starring Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Viola Davis among other people. So it's kind of a cool, uh, you know, start to a scriptwriting career there. Uh, this is the story of the shoe air Jordan, specifically of how Nike executives were able to make this deal with Michael Jordan and his family at the time. Um, and this is, you know, takes place in the early 80s when Nike, believe it or not, were clear underdogs in the shoe industry. You know, the story takes you through where Nike was at the time and you get to meet some of the executives. So the the, the story follows Sonny Vaccaro played by Matt Damon who is a basketball talent scout at Nike who is tasked with finding out who can be the next spokesperson for Nike's basketball shoes and how things were done at the time. This is not a spoiler, by the way, this whole conversation will be spoiler free. Um, How things were done at the time is that like these companies would choose a handful of athletes to kind of divide their budget up uh, with and, you know, they would get four athletes to spend money on and say, go make us money, go do us proud. And this strategy was not working for Nike. Nike's at a point in this movie in 1984 where they are on the verge of shutting their basketball shoe division down because of low performance. And so this movie follows this executive, Sonny Vaccaro, who you know has fallen in love with this idea of Michael Jordan, who right before uh, the NBA draft hits a game-winning shot in the NCAA championship at UNC, coached by Dean Smith. Uh, shout out UNC. And that there's also... A video clip that's played a lot in this movie of that final shot in real life, um, which is pretty cool. But it, it basically shows Sonny Vaccaro kind of like falling in love with this idea of Michael Jordan and this this rookie who, as a freshman in college, hits this amazing basketball shot right before the NBA, right before he you know goes to the NBA a couple of years later, and how Sonny Vaccaro saw something in him as an executive. He was like, you know, I I see this guy, and he's so calm under pressure. And now he's gonna be in the NBA and he is a star and we need him. And so he convinces his team to say, okay, instead of spending all this money on four people, let's use all this money, this 250000 or million or whatever the scope was, probably $1,000, uh, and let's spend it all on Michael Jordan. And so it's kind of the story of how this, you know, at the time, this low key startup company called Nike in, in Oregon tried to get one of the biggest athletes to join the NBA, uh, to sign on to Nike. So you have Matt Damon playing Sonny Vaccaro. You have Ben Affleck, who directed this movie, playing Phil Knight, the CEO of Nike. And he is very goofy and very funny in this movie. Um, And you have Viola Davis playing Michael Jordan's mother. Um, Fun fact about this is that when they were developing this script, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon both kind of sat down with Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan gave them his blessing on this movie with a couple of conditions. most importantly, that they cast Viola Davis as his mother and make her and his, his father kind of a more of an integral uh, part of this story. And so, yeah, she's, she's fantastic. She is uh, uh, kind of a, uh, playing a more subtle role. I shouldn't say that playing a more subtle part in this movie. Um, she's, she's pretty reserved. She reminds me of um, like, you know, sometimes the best actors kind of, really tone things down in a movie and it's not because they're not acting well it's because they are purposely making the choice to kind of like really keep the energy lower um i just watched the movie i rewatched the movie spotlight and rachel mcadams in that movie i think does that really well where you know you never see her kind of blow up you never see her really raise her voice maybe except for like one or two words in one scene And it's really just on the same note. And I think that's by design. And I think it was really effective. So I think Viola Davis does that really, really well here. So yeah, overall reaction to this, it was fun. You know, the story is not incredibly nuanced. It's not like one of those movies about a company like the social network was about Facebook where, you know, that movie was this founding tale that also imparts you with a thought out critique on the implications of the people's actions in that movie. This is like pretty much like, hey, this shoe was and is a huge deal and people should know what it was like at Nike at the time and what that process looked like when you know deals like this were not made and we should kind of paint this picture better. Despite knowing that Nike is already one of the biggest companies in the world right now and Air Jordan is a huge deal, Like you know that going into the movie. You know that this is going to work out, that this is going to be a success story. Despite that, it was a solidly entertaining movie with a lot of fun performances, a very funny script and enough moments to actually make you feel invested in what is now one of the largest corporations in the history of planet earth. Like there are moments in this script where you're like, Oh man, I really hope they win. I really hope this works out because of X, Y, Z. Uh, I, I think like the ability for the filmmakers to do that here is, uh, pretty impressive considering the source material. Uh, a couple of little things that I liked about it. It's, it's a, uh, Really great office movie. Any movie that takes place in an office, usually journalism movies or like crime movies where there's like detectives in an office trying to figure something out. I love movies like that, especially when you get a feel for the space that they're in. And there's shots of people walking around the office and going to get a snack from the cafeteria and, you know, sitting in an office late night when no one else is there. There's a lot of that in this movie, which I just, I just love that vibe. Um... I don't know where they filmed it, but there is a scene in Wilmington, North Carolina. Shout out North Carolina again! Lots of NC talk in this movie, um, where Matt Damon's character goes to visit Michael Jordan's family. It's a great tribute to the 1980s. There's a like 1980s tribute montage in the first five minutes of this movie, which is like pretty over the top, but like sets sets the tone, which is like, hey, we're in the 80s and we love the 80s um and shout out to you know there's a handful of like supporting actors i have not even talked about yet but you know jason bateman who you might know from ozark uh but has been in like every comedy movie of the 21st century chris tucker most famously of rush hour is fantastic in this chris messina who uh he's been in a a handful of things Uh, if you've seen the movie julie and julia he plays amy adams husband um really really specific reference there but he is very funny he plays michael jordan's agent in this movie and it's just like Him and Matt Damon going back and forth on the phone with some really funny phone conversations. So yeah, just like the supporting cast here, Marlon Wayans. Yeah, everybody is really top-notch. They got a lot of great actors to kind of come in for just short scenes here. And uh, yeah, very effective. One of the biggest things about this movie is that despite being about Michael Jordan's shoe and Michael Jordan's family and the legacy of Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan is not in this movie. Uh, There is an actor who plays and portrays Michael Jordan. You don't really ever see his face. Not really. You don't ever see his face in this movie. You only see his body and the back of his head. And I think you hear him say like four words or something, but it's not even the focus of the conversation. And I think the intent behind this was like, hey, look, like if we're going to make a movie about Air Jordan and Michael Jordan and get an actor to play him that clearly is not Michael Jordan, people are just going to be taken out of the movie. Um, his presence looms over this movie already, and we don't need all the attention to be on this legend that everybody wants to see. Um, and you may not be a super big fan of that choice. I actually think it really worked well. I, I think even despite the fact that it was an actor that you don't even see his face, I was still like looking at the actor like, oh man, are we gonna see his face? Is that really Michael Jordan? So like, I can't imagine if they had just turned around and it was just some random dude, I was gonna be like, oh, this is stupid. That's not Michael Jordan. Uh, so yeah, I'm actually quite happy with that that choice to uh, to keep him and his. His face and his like likeness uh, out of it, so yeah, that's that's kind of like my like ranty thoughts about this movie. It was it was good. I think I watched it in theaters. This is one of those rare movies. I know I say this all the time that you should go to theaters, but this is one of those rare movies where you don't really need to go see it in theaters. Like it's really fun to watch with the group uh, because it's funny and people are gonna be laughing out loud. But uh, you know, this is a perfect like streaming movie, chill at home. And just like watch this this fun tale where you know it's going to be a happy ending. Uh, big picture stuff. So this is directed by Ben Affleck. Like I said earlier, Ben Affleck is also an actor in this movie. He's directed a handful of films that have all been more or less successful. Here are the films he has directed. A movie called Gone Baby Gone in 2007. Not to be confused with Gone Girl, which came out in 2015. Gone Girl is a movie that Ben Affleck was acting in. Gone Baby Gone is a movie he directed. Not the same movie. Uh, he also directed and starred in The Town, and then a couple years later did Argo, which he won Best Picture for at the Oscars. In 2016, he did a movie called Live by Night, and I don't think that was a commercial or critical success. And I guess six years later, he makes the movie air. So that's five movies in the last 15, 16 years that he's directed. I think that aspect of this movie that I was talking about earlier with the fact that like it's not incredibly profound it's not like challenging any huge ideas it really is just like this love letter to this product and this deal that changed the world and changed the the sports industry forever and while watching it it feels like you're watching these guys just have fun making this movie like there's like two there's two settings that this movie takes place in it's like an office and then uh, like one or two houses for like a couple minutes but like this is like these guys are probably in the same building shooting this movie for like a couple weeks and just hanging out and improvising a ton you have a lot of really funny comedic actors here and you feel the energy there's a lot of like fun energy in this movie it doesn't take itself too seriously maybe until like the last 15-20 minutes of this movie but yeah it's just like it's just fun and and this is kind of what i'm going to talk about later in the episode about matt damon and ben affleck but like this is one of those classic hollywood stories where you have these people who are so clearly friends in real life and people know that they are friends in real life so when you watch them on screen you just root for them because you know that they're buddies and and, and you want them to just hang out and you want to see them interact um so yeah i just think it's a really really fun aspect of this, of this film um some nitty-gritties about this movie i mean like so this is an amazon uh studios movie it originally was just going to be on amazon prime and then Test audiences really liked it, so they said, okay, we're going to move it to theaters for a couple months, and now, of course, it's back on Amazon Prime. Amazon spent like $50 million promoting this movie that probably only cost like $30 million to make, Um, so I think they're like really putting a lot of money behind this, and it's clear, because like you'll see YouTube commercials for this now all the time. Uh, This is a movie that I think we're going to be talking about throughout the year, because I think not a lot of people saw it in theaters, but a lot of people are going to watch it on streaming over the course of the next 12 months and be like, hey, that Matt Damon Ben Affleck movie was kind of fun. What was that again? Let's talk about that. It also opened, I think, on the same weekend as a Super Mario Brothers movie, which is like a huge deal. I never watched it, and I I do want to. I I really want it to be good as well. But aside from like how good or bad it is, that movie is a beast. It made over a billion dollars at the box office already. So yeah, uh, just... Crazy that it opened along the same, <laughs> opened on the same weekend as, as that juggernaut, um, and yeah, critics seem to like it. I don't really see that many, um, I, I guess, like in depth analyses of what this movie is talking about when it comes to like capitalism and how we're basically celebrating a billion, multi billion dollar company uh, in this movie and not really questioning the fact that we're celebrating it. And the filmmakers don't really make an effort to, like, address that. And I think that's probably why some people would be turned off by this movie. I think if you're sensitive to the, that sort of thing, basically, if you're, like, Gen Z and, and like, don't really like to watch movies about capitalism and, and celebrating capitalism openly, you're probably going to get to the end of this movie and be like, wait, what? Like, there are – this is not – again, this is not spoiling anything because we know how this ends. Nike wins everything. There's a title card at the end of this movie that says something along the lines of like, in blah 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 year, Nike uh acquired Converse for blah 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 millions of dollars. And like I think that's supposed to be like an applause worthy moment uh in the movie. And it's not like one of those things like you read that and you're like, oh man, Nike's evil. This sucks. Like it's not the social network. Like this is just like we love Nike. Let's go, Nike. Nike's the best, Michael Jordan's the GOAT. Thanks for coming. So yeah, that aspect of it. It's a little weird and I I felt that a little bit by the end of the movie, but it didn't really bother me throughout the the middle of this movie just because of the fact that it is entertaining and uh, doesn't really dwell on the fact. It's not trying to convince you that Nike's great. It's just showing you that like, hey, this is actually what went down and this is why we get to have nice things when you go to the mall. Take that as you will. That's, that's pretty much all I'll say about Air. Uh, that's all I really can say without spoiling too much of it. Go see it on Amazon Prime. Let me know what you think. Maybe at the end of the year. you know, This was on my list of most anticipated movies of the year, so we will be reflecting on it later on. But the reason it was so anticipated for me is because of the people behind the making of this movie. Ben Affleck is directing this movie, and it stars Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Jason Bateman, who I love. But primarily, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck here... These guys are their childhood friends. They met when they were eight and ten years old, both in Boston. They have been friends their entire lives. They have been, uh, you know, working professionals in Hollywood their almost their entire lives. And since the making of *Goodwill Hunting*, and since I watched *Goodwill Hunting*, I have just like fallen in love with both of these guys. And I love the uh, juxtaposition of their careers and their filmography and how they have kind of like carried themselves through the industry thus far and now in the last like three years they've started to work with each other a lot more actively and they've openly said in interviews like yeah you know we're getting old and we were just realizing that like hey we should be working together more I don't know like whatever they were worried about in terms of like working with each other or not they are not worried about anymore and they're just like let's go have fun we're like best friends let's just go make things together and so let's take a quick break and after that I'm going to get into Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's careers. This is the first time I'm kind of covering this sort of content on the podcast. Let's see how it goes. I am a very big fan of uh Matt Damon and Ben Affleck together. Probably if I had to pick, I would probably say I'm more of a fan of Matt Damon and I'll get into why a little bit a little bit later when I'm like detailing their filmography. But I want to just talk about like how they got their start in Hollywood with Good Will Hunting being that thing that skyrocketed them to like a list of fame uh in 1997 and from there on where their careers kind of divulged divulged uh diverged and what that did for them and how that impacted them and how they've kind of come back from whatever path they were on to work together in 2023 so let's get started. So so like I said before, they met when they were 8 and 10. Matt Damon was 10, Ben Affleck was 8. They both are from Boston. Um like Matt Damon has said that he was playing football with a bunch of guys and and Ben Affleck was there. This is like when they were in high school a little later. They they met when they were young, but they didn't really become friends until this moment, I think. Uh when I think Matt Damon must have been 16 and Ben was 14 and uh some guy Matt Damon probably said some shit to some guy, and he tried to fight Matt, and Ben Affleck just came and tackled this dude who tried to fight Matt, and from then, Matt was like, I like this guy, let's be friends. Like, that's the most, like, Boston dude thing I've ever heard, the fact that, like, that fight suddenly... Uh, is the fact that like, I'm going to be friends with this guy for 40 years. And like, you know, it's going to be one of the most famous friendships ever. And so, yeah, Matt Damon, you know, he he is two years older than Ben Affleck. He actually goes to Harvard university and in one of his classes at Harvard, he has this assignment for like a playwriting class to write a one act play. And instead of writing a one act play, Matt Damon says to his professor, like, Hey, I, I think I just failed your class, but I wrote this 40 page script. I think it's like the first act of this movie. That I I'm, I guess I'm writing, and the professor was was very supportive and said like this is good stuff you should you should continue working on this. The only scene from that first forty pages that Matt Damon wrote that is still in Goodwill Hunting is the scene when Will Hunting first meets his therapist, played by Robin Williams, and you know Matt Damon kind of agitates the professor and then ends with Robin Williams cho- choking Matt Damon and saying like get get the hell out of my office. So that that scene was pretty much written by Matt Damon when he was in college. Everything else was changed. Um, So Matt Damon, you know, he writes the script. His professor likes it. He says, all right, let me share this with my friends because my my professor liked it. It must be good. And he shared it with Ben Affleck and said, you know, I don't know what this is, but I, I really like it. And Ben said, I don't know what this is either, but we should work on this together. And so Ben Affleck was already in Los Angeles at the time, uh, he had just moved there maybe the, in the last year to go work as an actor. Uh, I should stop here and say that, like, the story of Goodwill Hunting is that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were nobodies, and then now they're somebodies. And, like, while that's like true on the surface, Matt Damon had joined the Actors Guild, I think, when he was like 16 years old. Uh, both Ben Affleck and Matt Damon had been acting for a while, like, doing smaller parts and uh, even getting to the point where they were like the leads of some smaller movies. Uh, I think Matt Damon's first movie was when he was like 16 or 17 years old. Uh, if you've seen this movie called Mystic Pizza with Julia Roberts, it's a uh, it's a rom-com set in Connecticut in this town called Mystic where Julia Roberts and her two sisters are working at a pizzeria. Uh, Matt Damon appears in a scene for like four seconds where he plays the younger brother of uh, one of the love interests and he looks like a little munchkin. He looks very cute and he just like says something to like agitate his brother and he looks like a child. Um, and I think that was his first movie and uh, since then, until Good Will Hunting, which is maybe the almost like 10 years, uh, both Matt and Ben were in a handful of movies, sometimes even together. So, uh, you know, Mystic Pizza was 1988. In 1989, the movie Field of Dreams, uh, directed, written, and starring Kevin Costner, uh, that one best picture, Matt and Ben are actually extras in the, uh, the stadium in that climax scene. Matt and Ben both also appear in the movie School Ties in the year 1992. Matt is kind of more in a in a lead role there. And then the same year as Good Will Hunting, this movie called Chasing Amy comes out, and Matt and Ben both are in that movie. Ben Affleck is, is more of a lead in that role there. Oh, and I also should say Courage Under Fire, a movie starring Denzel Washington, comes out the year before Good Will Hunting, and Matt Damon plays... Uh, I guess like a medic in that movie. I've never seen it, but Matt Damon plays a medic and went through like a physical transformation where he lost 40 pounds. And uh, I think people were saying after that performance, like, hey, this Matt Damon guy is a real star. And so there was a little bit of a buzz around Matt before Good Will Hunting came out. Okay, so uh, they're writing the script together. Matt Damon goes to LA. They're working on the script together in Los Angeles uh, out of Ben Affleck's place. And they complete the script in the year 1994. It's just three years before the actual release date of the movie. And when they finish the script, it's not the movie we know today. The movie is about, yeah, like a young genius in South Boston, but it was a much more of like an action thriller where he's tapped by the government to like become a spy or something. Uh, Anyway, like that movie was written. They go and start to like try to sell this script. And this, uh, this company called Castle Rock Entertainment buys the script. And at the time, it was a huge deal for them because they they bought the script for like almost $700,000. And the deal was like, if we get this film produced, then you guys will retain the sole writing credit and get an additional $100,000. So Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are thrilled. Um, The president of Castle Rock is a man named Rob Reiner. And Rob Reiner is a writer, director, and actor who made hits like When Harry Met Sally, The Princess Bride, Spinal Tap, a handful of others he Most notably, in the last 10 years, I think, played Leonardo DiCaprio's dad in The Wolf of Wall Street, the guy who's yelling all the time. So yeah, Rob Reiner is like modern Hollywood legend, in my opinion. Um, But basically, he's the president of Castle Rock, and he tells these guys, he's like, look, this is a great script, but I really think you should drop this whole thriller aspect and just focus on this relationship between uh, Will Hunting and his therapist. Uh, Director Terrence Malick, who made movies like The Thin Red Line and The Tree of Life, he tells Matt Damon and Ben Affleck over dinner one time that the film should really, like, end with Will Hunting going to follow his girlfriend to California and not them, like, leaving together. Um, And so, like, all these random people, not random, but all these directors and all these producers are, like, weighing in on this movie and slowly kind of crafting it over years to become the movie that we see. So the real climax of this, like, pre-production epic saga is that the screenwriter named William Goldman, first, he he reads the script and he's a, a huge fan of it. And there's actually like a rumor going around Hollywood for the last 30 years, I guess, that like William Goldman actually wrote most of the script, but Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are the ones that get the credit. He's like denied this. And I think it's kind of a stupid story, but, you know, just a little Hollywood fact for you or not fact, Hollywood fiction for you. And so the, the real deal here is that like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck wanted to act in this movie, right? They, they wrote this thinking that they were going to play the, the roles that they they do play in the movie. But studio executives at Castle Rock did not want this to happen. They wanted Brad Pitt and um, Leo DiCaprio to play play the roles. And so this other director is, is, at the time, working with Ben Affleck on Chasing Amy and another movie called Mallrats. And so Castle Rock, this company, basically says, all right, you know what? We are going to give you guys 30 days to find another company to buy this this script. And if they do, great. But if they don't, then we get to keep the script and we're going to cast other people in it. You guys are out. You guys can just get the writing credit. So Matt Damon and Ben Affleck have 30 days to find somebody to make this movie and so that they can act in it. And so this guy, Kevin Smith, who Ben Affleck was working with, says, okay, give this give the script to me. I'm going to walk into uh, Miramax's office and put this on the front desk of Uh, guess who Harvey Weinstein who at the time was like the big good and the big bad really of Hollywood Um, he was notorious for making hits and he was the biggest producer in Hollywood at the time and Harvey Weinstein reads the script and he loves it and he pays Castle Rock and he gets the script and he lets Matt Damon and Ben Affleck star in the movie and so you know this this absolutely has not aged well and Matt Damon has, has openly said that like it's one of the weirdest and and kind of most regretful parts of his career now and looking back that like Harvey Weinstein really is responsible for giving him his first huge leading role. But anyway, it's, it's, it is fact. Um, A really funny part of this story is that uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affick both put in a random, really like raunchy sex scene in the middle of the script because they were like, okay, this script make this scene makes no sense in the script, but we want to see if producers are actually reading this script And so they they showed the script to like hundreds of producers probably and nobody called them out on it. Harvey Weinstein was the guy who was like, yeah, I like the script. Just take out the weird sex scene in the middle. I don't get that part. And I I just think that's a really funny, that that feels like a a, a scene out of a movie. Um, So yeah, Harvey Weinstein and Miramax are the official kind of rights holders for the script and they decide to make the movie. They look for a director. A lot of directors pass on the script because no one knew the you know the actors and it was a little bit of a smaller project matt damon and ben affleck choose a director named gus van sand who had only really done independent movies at the time and uh you know they create this this indelible legendary movie that has it lost best picture oscar to titanic i think probably rightfully so but goodwill hunting is one of those movies that like titanic really has standed the test of time over the last uh, almost 30 years and been a really, really large part of the American pop culture. Uh, and so I, I just love this this idea that these guys um, started writing this in school and then ended up making uh, this this really huge movie and, and becoming famous overnight. So they, they uh, go and make this movie, and a year later, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck win the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. There's a story that, like, Matt Damon says where, you know, him and Ben and Casey Affleck, Ben Affleck's younger brother, who also stars in this movie, and Gus Van Zandt were all watching the Oscars together the year before, just in the living room making bets. And then a year later, they're all in the front row at the Oscars. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck have their moms with them. them, And it's like, how did we get here in a year? Uh, I love their Oscar speech when they win. Uh, there's a lot of like really funny moments at, at this Oscar ceremony. Billy Crystal does this like opening number where he's singing Matt and Ben's names and talking about how they're like young and hot and how he's not, and it's it's kind of charming and funny. Um, here is the, the the moment where Matt Damon and Ben Affleck win the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay in 1998. And the Oscar goes to Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Damon and Ben Affleck are childhood friends. They appeared together in Chasing Amy and *Blue Will, Will Hunting, for which Damon received the Best Actor nomination. This is their first Academy Award.
1: Uh, ha, I just said to Matt, losing would suck, and winning would be really scary, and it's really, really scary. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, we're, we're we're just really two young guys who ha- uh, we're fortunate enough to be involved with a lot of great people, wh- whom uh, it's coming upon us to. There's no way we're doing this in less than 20 seconds. Who, on upon whom it's incumbent <laughs> of us to thank, um, Harvey Weinstein, who believed in us and made this movie. Gus Van Sant for brilliant direction. Robin Williams, who delivers the great lines. Mini Driver, who performed his brilliant Stellan Skarsgård, who was great. Your brother. Um, <laughs> my brother Casey, who's brilliant in the Paul movie. Hauser. Hauser, my mother, John, John and Matt's mother, the most beautiful women up? here. My dad right party. over there. And, um, Jack said hi to you. Sh- and all uh, right. who, who, who else? Uh, John uh, Gordon from Miramax. John Gordon. Uh, Chris Moore produced Chris the movie. Moore. And, Chris uh, Moore. Patrick Weitzel, the best agent in Hollywood. Yeah, and, uh, Patrick Weitzel. And Cuba Gunning for showing us how to give our right acceptance speech. <laughs> and, uh, um, <laughs> and all our friends and, and, and Kate, family. And, and everybody back in and Boston, and Boston and watching us tonight. And thank you so much the city of Boston. And, 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 and God, I know we're forgetting somebody. Whoever we forgot, we love you. and We, we love say you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Really, really fun moment. It's also the only movie uh, that Robin Williams won an Oscar for. So yeah, I love Robin Williams. Rest in peace. Uh, just really, really fun that this movie kind of gave him that, that acclaim. Okay. So after this movie, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are like, are like, you know, the two, like, some of the two biggest stars. Um, that same year, so Good Will Hunting came out in 1997. In 1998, a movie called Armageddon comes out. This is a movie directed by Michael Bay, who you may know from, like, Bad Boys and Transformers. Um, Armageddon was this huge movie starring Bruce Willis and uh, and Ben Affleck. And after Armageddon comes out, Ben Affleck is, like, the biggest movie star. Like obviously Leonardo DiCaprio and Titanic was huge, but like everyone loved Ben Affleck as well. And I think a lot of people forget about that. And after this, Ben Affleck does like a handful of of really really big movies. He does a movie called Pearl Harbor, also directed by Michael Bay, which was a huge hit as well. I think more importantly though, Ben Affleck kind of becomes this this uh character in a lot of tabloids. His personal life was really really under a microscope at the time, uh specifically like his relationship with Gwyneth Paltrow. And his relationship with Jennifer Lopez, and Ben Affleck he does a lot of big movies. Also, does a lot of really bad movies in the early two thousands. So much so that he does in two thousand three, he does a movie called Daredevil about the superhero named Daredevil, and he does a movie called Julie. And Julie is considered greatly to be like one of the worst movies that came out in the twenty first century. This movie Julie absolutely tanks his career. Like after Julie comes out, he's not getting hired for anything real after that for a couple years um so he really goes from like being on top of the world in movies like armageddon and uh, some appearances in like shakespeare in love boiler room etc uh pearl harbor to being just the bottom of the barrel and people not taking him seriously ben affleck then decides you know what uh, he he Luckily, had some friends that he had made over the years. He's given the opportunity, like four years after *Glee* comes out, to direct a movie called *Gone Baby Gone*. This is a uh, a murder mystery detective thriller, like a neo noir movie um, based on a novel. He casts his brother Casey Affleck and Michelle Monaghan. Pretty small movie in, in terms of like budget. He he, I think it cost like twenty million dollars overall. He made uh, thirty five million dollars and was considered like pretty pretty great directing debut for him. And one of the supporting actresses, Amy Ryan, gets an Oscar nomination for this movie. That really turns his career around. So he goes from like, I, I just think that 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 dichotomy is is pretty crazy. Like, if you think about these A-list movie stars, like S-tier movie stars, you have like Leonardo DiCaprio and like a, even like a like a Tom Hanks or a Tom Cruise. Like, if they have a couple of bombs early on in the career, people are going to forget about them. This is like Timothy Chalamet making like four of the worst movies you've ever seen, and suddenly you're like. This guy sucks. Like, yeah, he was good when he was a kid, but now he's older and he sucks. Let's forget about him. And for him to say, I'm actually just going to turn around and direct a movie and it be genuinely good. It's like a, a complete career revamp. So then Ben Affleck uh, directs a movie called The Town, which is a fantastic Boston movie. If you've never seen it, it's a Boston crime thriller starring him and uh, Jeremy Renner and Blake Lively and John Hamm. And it's really, really fun fantastic movie and then uh, two years later releases a movie called Argo. Argo famously wins Best Picture without giving Ben Affleck a Best Director nomination. It was kind of like joked about at the time as to like how that could happen and I He's given interviews now about the fact that, like, he at the time really resented that, and he said, "You know what? You're not going to give me a best director nomination. I'm going to go charm every man, woman, and baby in Hollywood, and I'm going to get best picture." And that's what he does, and he wins best picture. And uh, I, I love his Oscar speech when he wins it. And he, this is 12 years after he wins an Oscar for Good Will Hunting, and he's back in Hollywood at the at the top again. Um, and it's it's pretty redemptive. This is this is his speech, well, ladies and gentlemen,
1: our co-producer and the director of Argo, Ben Affleck. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. I know eventually that that thing's going to start to go, so forgive me if this is uh, a little bit quick. I want to acknowledge Steven Spielberg, who I feel is a genius and uh, just a a, a towering uh, talent among us. I want to acknowledge the other eight films. There are eight great films that have every right, uh, as much a right to be up here as we do. I want to acknowledge them and thank them for what they did and for many of them who who didn't even uh, uh, get nominated this year. Um, I want to thank, you know, I mean, uh, Jack McNeese and, 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 and Jerry Specker and Marty Brest and my brother and my mom and dad and uh, uh, Patrick Weitzel and Tony Mendez who let us do his story. Thank you. And I just, I'm going to forget, I thank everyone in the movie, on the movie, worked on the movie, did anything with this movie, gets thanked. I want to thank Canada. I want to thank our, our, our friends in, uh, in Iran living in in, in terrible circumstances right now. I want to thank my wife, who I don't normally associate with Iran, but... Um, <laughs> I want to thank you for um, working on our marriage for uh, you know, uh, 10 Christmases. It's, uh, it's, it's good. It's, it is work, but it's the best kind of work. And uh, yeah. there's no one I'd rather work with. So, um, and I just want to say, you know, I, I was here 15 years ago or something, and um, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I stood out here in front of you all, I, really just a kid. And uh, I went out, you know, and I, I never thought that I would be back here, and I am. Uh, because of so many of you who are here tonight, because of this academy, because of so many wonderful people who extended th- themselves to me when they had nothing to benefit from it in Hollywood. You know what I mean? I, I couldn't get them a job. Um, I want to thank them, and, and I want to thank what they taught me, which is that you have to work harder than you, th- than you think you possibly can. You can't hold grudges. It's hard, but you can't hold <laughs> grudges. Uh, and it doesn't matter. Uh, how you get knocked down in life, because that's gonna happen. All that matters is that you gotta get up. Violet, Sam, and Sarah, I love you. This, this.
0: Yeah, since then, you know, Ben Affleck has, has, I think, tried to do other things, and you can argue whether like he's been successful in those things or not, but it's clear now that like Ben Affleck is here to stay. I think it's like he has established himself as both an actor that can make money and a director that can make money he was Batman if you forgot Like he was Batman for a handful of years uh and he was in Gone Girl and he's he's been in a lot of really really big budget movies not to mention now with the success of Air I think it's clear that like you can hire Ben Affleck to make good movies and he's going to deliver and so 30 years into his career he's kind of established himself in Hollywood as like a regular and somebody who should not be trifled with and I love that for him um so that's 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 Ben Affleck. I didn't think I was gonna start this conversation with Ben Affleck, but I just kind of did it. That's the summary of Ben Affleck. Uh, let's talk about Matt Damon. Matt Damon wins the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay '98 for *Good Will Hunting*. Now the difference between Matt Damon and Ben Affleck here, and I think this is really important, is that a Matt Damon was was kind of typecast because of this movie as the smart intellectual leading man, whereas Ben Affleck was kind of seen as this funny, attractive side character with less of a brain. Honestly, that's what people were were uh, kind of seeing him as. And if you look at their filmography, that's the roles Ben Affleck was getting. He was getting these sort of like hot leading man action role movies where he's in Armageddon and Pearl Harbor, and, or he's like a, 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 a spy who falls in love in, in a movie like Geely. He's not getting those those movies where you get to kind of be an actor and make smart, fun choices and kind of play around. So Matt Damon, I think from the get was kind of given more opportunities to, to be that man. So that with that kind of assumption and privilege laid out, I have to say that Matt Damon, it seems he made a lot of really smart choices when it came to the movies that he was doing a, he was working with really, really great directors every year. So After 1997, here are the movies that he was doing. He does Saving Private Ryan with Steven Spielberg. Uh, He does Rounders. That's a movie by uh, John Dahl. But more importantly, it was a movie that really uh, became like this mascot for professional poker and kind of reinvigorated poker in pop culture. He does a movie called The Talented Mr. Ripley, where he plays a villain. It's a movie directed by Anthony uh, Minghella. I think that's how you say his name, who... Won the Oscar for The English Patient just a couple years prior. Um, and and he he's playing basically a sociopath, like a murderous sociopath in that movie. Um, so he he's kind of taking on these roles that are like not even necessarily the leading part uh, in, in a lot of these movies. He's very comfortable being the third or fourth or fifth lead even. A perfect example of that is the Oceans Trilogy. You know, Ocean's Eleven comes out in 2001, I think he's like third or fourth build in that movie. George Clooney and Brad Pitt are the movie stars of the movie. And not only that, Matt Damon is playing like this bumbling side character role. He's not supposed to be cool in those movies. He's supposed to be dorky and bad at his job. And for somebody who wants to become like a a leading man movie star to kind of say okay to that and to know that they're going to come out on the other side better, I think it's like really, really, really cool. Yeah, I, I just think that like Matt Damon's choices are, are really smart here. And I think the way that Ben Affleck kind of did these like big, big blockbuster movies, I think Matt Damon didn't really have that after Good Will Hunting. Yes, he was in Saving Private Ryan, but I meant like as a leading man, first build movie star. So he turns around and does the Bourne Identity in 2002 and suddenly is like, yeah, I can lead a franchise. Come at me. And he does Born Identity, he does Born Supremacy, and he does Born Ultimatum. And during that run, is he's just pumping out movies left and right. He does more Oceans movies, as Oceans Twelve and Oceans Thirteen. He stars in a movie called Syriana alongside George Clooney, uh, which George Clooney won the Oscar for. He, he's in The Departed, playing against Leonardo DiCaprio, who's pretty much like a professional rival at this point. I don't know if they're friends or not, but like they are probably the two of the biggest movie stars in America at this point, and they're. They're, they're villains against each other in the movie. Uh, the Departed was one of the biggest movies of 2006, and, and Marty Scorsese wins Best Picture and Best Director uh, for that one. And after that, he just continues his run of like saying, All right, I'm not chasing an Oscar. I'm not chasing fame necessarily. I'm just chasing like good scripts and good movie directors. So he, he works with Clint Eastwood and does a movie called Invictus, where he plays a rugby player in South Af- South Africa. And he does a movie called The Informant, which is directed by Steven Soderbergh, same guy who made The *Ocean's* Trilogy. He does True Grit, which is a Cohen Brothers movie. Um, shout out to the Cohen Brothers. So, like, yeah, there's just, like, so many movies he's doing where he's just working with, a, like, just all these, like, name brand directors and producers in Hollywood. And I just think that's why, like, when you look at his filmography, it's just so fascinating because yeah, you have all these different genres. You have all of these different types of movies and types of scripts you have movies where he's the only one on screen for the entire movie pretty much a movie like the martian where you're sitting with him on mars alone in a room for like two plus hours and he's carrying you through that thing and then you have a movie like interstellar where he shows up also in space but he shows up over halfway through the movie and then is immediately like the worst guy you ever met in the movie and I just think the range is like amazing. It's like you don't know whether you're going to like love him or hate him in a movie. He has this everyman quality to him that is very underrated. I think he's very attractive, but he's also is like a guy who you can just see on the street, and it's like, oh, that's just like a, just a normally attractive guy. Like I don't know what to think about that guy. Um, he'll gain weight for a movie. He'll lose weight for a movie. In general, I just think that like he he shows up in Thor Ragnarok like making fun of actors in a scene where he's like. He's supposed to be like Loki pretending to be somebody else, but he's in that movie for like four seconds. Same thing with like Deadpool 2. He's a random cameo in that movie. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that like, I, I like the fact that like this, Matt Damon is, is your movie star guy where you can just enjoy him in a movie. You're not You're not pressured to say, oh, he's in this movie and I have to like him. And if I don't like him, I'm not going to like this movie. It's like, no, you don't have to like him. A lot of the times he's playing people you're not supposed to like. I mean, he's a dick for half of Good Will Hunting and he plays a dick really well. And so that's kind of like refreshing in a movie star where if you don't think Timothy Chalamet is like fun to look at, you may not like him in his movies. You may not like those movies. I love Timothy Chalamet for the record. Just want to throw that out there. But just as an example of a movie star, it wasn't until what, like uh, Django Unchained where Leonardo DiCaprio plays just an outright villain. Whereas Matt Damon was doing that a year after Goodwill Hunting came out, where he plays Mr. Ripley in Talented Mr. Ripley. I just think it's I don't think I've ever seen that before from an A list movie star. Yeah, you get that from character actors and smaller, smaller people, but not somebody at that level of fame. So yeah, this, this is just my thoughts on like an actress filmography. I don't really know where I'm going with this. Um, but I, I hope you enjoyed that little deep dive onto like both him and Ben Affleck and, and where they're at. Um, so I guess the last thing I'll talk about is the last project that they worked on together before air. So like I said, air is directed by, by Ben Affleck and stars, Matt Damon in 2021, they did a movie called the last duel. He works with Ridley Scott who made blade runner and gladiator and black Hawk down and, uh, Prometheus and the Martian, just like a handful of, of really great movies. Um, and Matt Damon and Ben Affleck co-write this script together. They co-write this movie with um Nicole Hollef Center who I've never heard of before. I think she is a, a smaller filmmaker but nonetheless like makes uh a lot of great movies that are like rom-coms. Um she made a movie called Enough Said in 2013 with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and James Gandolfini. She made a movie this year called You Hurt My Feelings that just premiered at some festival, also starring Julia Louis Dreyfus, that I've heard is quite good. And it kind of deals with, like, um, I guess, like love and trust when you're older. Uh, anyway, uh, she co writes the script with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. So, this movie, The Last Duel, nobody saw it. And I really wish that wasn't the case because I think it's quite good. Um, the movie is, is, is based on a true story about the last legal duel to take place in France in medieval times. And basically it's about a man who accuses um, another man, I guess like technically a squire, of raping his wife. And what you see in this movie is the same story over 10-15 years from each character's perspective. So you start with Matt Damon's character's perspective of the man whose wife was raped. And you basically see his friendship with the squire unfold and kind of fall apart. Ben Affleck, who co-wrote the script, is really just in this movie as like kind of like a, a comedic side character. Um, the the man who plays the squire is none other than Adam Driver, uh, and Adam Driver and Matt Damon head to head in this is really really fun. So, like I said, you you see Matt Damon's perspective, then you see Adam Driver's perspective, uh, and th- finally you see the wife's perspective about what goes down. And it's it's a movie about how like the people with the least agency cl- clearly have the the most honest view of things and and you can kind of see what really, really happens uh, throughout these 15 years and it kind of ends with this massive uh, duel, this really, really intense battle. And so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie and it was clear to me that like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon still have really, really great writing chops and can still work together to make something that's really, really good. I think if this movie came out in let's say like 2018, it was in the conversation for Best Picture. I just think that like A, it was a COVID movie. B, nobody saw it, probably because of COVID. Also because like studios, I think, were whatever movies they made, they were just kind of putting all their money behind one movie. And I think The Last Duel was not the priority for whatever studio made that. Anyway, for whatever reason, I go see it. I watched it on an airplane a couple years ago. It's good on any medium, but it is quite cinematic. So the bigger screen, the better. So Ben Affleck is in a movie that's out now called Hypnotic. I believe it's some sort of like action thriller directed by Robert Rodriguez. I've heard it's not quite good. But if you like Ben Affleck, go watch it. Power to you. I probably will as well. Um, Matt Damon is going to be in one of the most anticipated movies of the year. Oppenheimer, releasing this summer, July 21st. I will definitely be in theaters on opening weekend for that movie. Um, Both of these guys are uh, really, really fun on screen and off screen. And I'm just a big fan. So I hope you guys have enjoyed my, like, passionate rant, deep dive talk about their filmographies. Didn't really have more of, like, a big picture plan for this. So I don't know if you are interested. If you got to the end of this episode, I guess you are. Um, But, yeah, hope you enjoyed the episode. Take care. And I'll see you later. Peace. Special thanks to my lovely girlfriend Guru Patel for the podcast's artwork, and my good friend Kevin Cow for the music that you're listening to now. You can find more of his music on Instagram at Waguong Beats. Thanks y'all.